Welcome to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead, it's crawfish season, but there's still a bit of a shortage thanks to the summer's drought. We'll talk with a reporter who's on the story about what we can expect. Also, how farmers across the state are coming together to address climate change. But first, the United Auto Workers Union is targeting a part of the country it's long struggled in, the South. The UAW's president, Sean Fain, recently led the union to winning an improved contract for its workers from the big three automakers. He's now hoping to use that victory to make the union case to Southern auto workers. Stephen Sylvia wrote the book, The UAW's Southern Gamble. It's about the past, often failed UAW campaigns in the South. In this installment of their conversation, he speaks with Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom about how the UAW can avoid its past mistakes and how Southern workers can benefit from a union. You describe the union avoidance playbook that a lot of these foreign auto manufacturers rely on as things like closed-door meetings, Uh, but also very few layoffs. They pay close to union wages, offer benefits, some that aren't even in union contracts. They invest in a local community. I mean, if a company's doing all that for its workers, do they do the workers really need a union at that point? It's a good point in that the union avoidance playbook certainly has carrots as well as sticks. So why would you need a union? Well, I'd say a you get voice if you have a union. And to give you an example, um, Volkswagen Chattanooga, uh, they, about four or five years ago, changed the way they were dealing with compensation when they shut down the plant to retool the plant. Now, all auto plants do this, that when you, if you have a new model or if the stamp equipment wears out, got to shut down the plant for a week or so. And the company, what they did is they said, okay, you're going to use your paid time off days during this shutdown and you don't have any choice about it. So if I remember correctly, the workers did end up getting that changes. Is that example like, well, maybe you don't need a union if they're able to still affect that change? You know, afterwards, they reversed it and undid it. When you got a union, you can make things permanent. If you don't have a union, you know, and the company thinks it's the right time, it'll slip back into implementing the kind of policies that the workers, uh, you know, that aren't the policies that the workers want. When I've spoken with other labor and union experts, they tend to fall into two camps. Some say unions need to be better at organizing, and that's the reason why union membership is so low in the countries. Others say it doesn't matter how good your campaign is if U.S. laws continue to make it easy for a company to resist a union. After studying all these different UAW campaigns in the South, which camp do you fall under? I don't think it's inevitable that unions will lose in the South. I think it's hard. It's much harder than in the North. So you need to really have a flawless or a near flawless campaign to succeed, but it's possible. The other thing I think is that the union has to think more holistically and not try to do what the UAW did in the 20 teens, where they really focused on trying to persuade management to be sympathetic toward unionization. I don't think that's going to work. And it didn't work. 
that you really need to make your focus on the employees. And uh, it will be hard, but I don't think it's impossible. You're also saying it was possible before. It, like in all these yeah. campaigns, they, they seem to at least have had a shot. Is is it a matter of it's it's this, they have the same shot as before? Or are there any things to make you think things are more or less favorable in the near future? So one thing that uh, lends some favorability to unionization attempts down the road is the Biden administration. That the Biden administration has been having rulemaking that sets standards for companies that take subsidies uh, under the Inflation Reduction Act to build electronic vehicles. So that is a new leverage point which exists uh, for the new electric vehicle plants that are being built and will be built you know, over the next five years or so. The only other thing I would say in this regard, if I were advising Sean Fain, don't completely forget dealing with unions in other countries. Uh, Sean Fain has already talked about working with the unions in Mexico. Uh, and I think that's smart to work with the unions in Mexico to see what they can do to make uh, the wage differential between Mexico and the United States smaller than it is now. I also wouldn't give up on dealing with the German unions. Uh, I would focus primarily on the employees, but I would not ignore trying to move management uh, to be more sympathetic to unionization than they have been in the past. That was author Stephen Silvio talking about his book, The UAW's Southern Gamble. He spoke with the Gulf States newsroom, Stephen Basaha, about the chances the union has to make progress in the South. This is Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. It's carnival season now, and usually Mardi Gras and crawfish season go hand in hand. But this year we're seeing a bit of a shortage of Louisiana's favorite boiled shellfish. It's impacting farmers, suppliers, restaurants, and of course, consumers. Robert Stewart has been covering the shortage for the Times-Picayune, The Advocate, and joins us now for more. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. So can you start by outlining the main cause for this shortage and the drought that we've had? Does drought typically impact the seafood supply like it is? Yeah, I don't think there's any way around it. It really seems to be the the really tough drought that we had this past summer. You know, we had an expert from the LSU Ag Center, Todd Fontenot, tell us that uh, usually around um, August, that's when the crawfish kind of managed to get into their burrows and lay their eggs. But because it was so hot, that dried out the soil and they weren't able to do that. So that's really kind of delayed things. Now, we've had wetter weather since then and especially recently, which really helps with that reproduction for the crawfish. But because it's come so late, now that's pushing back the season. And I think that's what's really kind of throwing everything off right now is that usually you would have more supply right now, but the supply is coming in later, but demand is still pretty high right now. So that's pushing up the price for for a lot of people who are trying to see crawfish right now. Hmm. So we're seeing the delayed effects of something that happened long ago, even though we've had wetter weather since. And we have the sort of sense that we expect crawfish season to be now, but in reality, crawfish season is later because of the climate right now. Right. And I think people are used to crawfish being a little bit more expensive right now. It is mid-January at best right now. So, I mean, crawfish, 
you know, you could probably expect it just kind of from my experience to be maybe about seven or eight dollars a pound right now. But I looked on the Crawfish app before I came in here for this interview, and that's uh, an, a local app run by some some people out of Baton Rouge, and they track it with thousands of vendors uh, across the area. And the best I found was about nine dollars a pound right now. And I can't think of anybody that I know that would pay nine dollars a pound right now. So if you see nine or ten dollars a pound right now, don't be terribly surprised. And really, with other places that usually distribute crawfish, they may not even have it right now. And I think that's really kind of the the shell shock that people are going to have to get used to for a little while, maybe a few weeks, maybe even a couple months. So this isn't some sort of existential issue. It's just right now we don't have them. You might have some crawfish later. They might be cheaper. Yeah, and the the people that we spoke to in the industry are still bullish on the season as they should be, especially because we have had some wetter weather in January. I think everybody's noticed that you've seen a lot more rain, but that just means that everything's going to be delayed. You know, the prices may not really start to go down until could even be March, maybe even April. The other problem that we have right now is that we have an increased amount of demand coming earlier because the Lent season is earlier because Mardi Gras is so much earlier. So that's going to keep prices high for a little bit. So the people that I spoke to just said, just please be patient. You know, I know everybody in Louisiana is still very supportive of the crawfish industry and they want to get that crawfish. They're really aching for it. But at the same time, I think there's just going to have to be a little bit of patience on consumers part because it's going to take a little bit longer for prices to fall. But as long as the weather keeps continuing to be wetter, I think you'll eventually see those prices fall just a little bit later than you might expect. Okay. So in your reporting, you spoke to some crawfish farmers. What exactly have they said about the shortage that they're seeing and how is it impacting their business? Uh, well, I mean, it's really tough right now. I mean, for some of these guys, they're going out on their marshes, then they're going out all across like 100 acres, and they're only getting a few sacks. That's that's not very much. It's about three or four sacks at a time. So for some of them, it's almost not even worth it to go out into the marshes and really try to, to catch anything right now, which I think is leading to the shortage that everybody is experiencing. So again, I think it'll just take a while for that supply to increase. Of course, the farmers are going to keep trying to manage their, their marshes and everything as well as they can, but it's just, it's really tough for them right now. I mean, there's not a lot of optimism right now. There's optimism for later in the season, but as of right now, everybody's kind of negative, quite frankly. Okay. And how about the suppliers in the restaurants? What are they saying about the shortage and how they're navigating it and adjusting their menus? Well, I spoke to one restaurant here in Baton Rouge, Willie's, uh, which has done crawfish for about 15 years now. And the owner of that restaurant, Willie Chapman, told me that in 15 years of doing this, he's never seen the conditions like this. Um, he's expecting, I, I believe his exact words were record high prices, which is not what people want to hear, obviously, here um, in Baton Rouge and in, in New Orleans and in South Louisiana. Um, it's it's tough on the restaurant suppliers right now. I spoke to another one where they said they just can't get any crawfish. That's Randy Montabano's off of uh, Florida Boulevard. They just can't get it. They had some sacks maybe about a month or two ago, but they just completely dried up. So that's the toughest part right now is because there's so little supply right now, the restaurants then can't turn around and sell it at a time when we know demand is about to pick up. We're speaking with Robert Stewart, reporter for Times-Picayune, the advocate about the statewide crawfish shortage. So knowing you don't have a crystal ball to look at prices, <laughs> what what could you predict? What could you say about what to expect about the crawfish prices in general? Well, so Willie Chapman, the owner of Willie's, told me that he thinks that this is going to be kind of like a six to eight week delay for the season. So again, prices are probably about nine or ten dollars a pound right now at best. I imagine that's going to stay that way for a few weeks, if not even a month, as the supply kind of continues to to, to replenish. Um 
I would expect prices to really fall, hopefully in March, if that weather continues to be as wet as it's been recently. By April, I think particularly after Easter, once that peak demand really hits, because again, earlier Lent, earlier Easter this year, once that demand kind of hits, maybe it's peak right around there since crawfish boils are so popular around Easter, I would anticipate it's going to fall a little bit after that. So it's just, it's going to be really tough, I think, for about the next couple months. But once we hit April, May, right in time for LSU baseball season here in Baton Rouge and more crawfish boils, I think that's when things will really kind of start to settle off a bit. All right. So for anybody who was hoping to start boiling some crawfish soon, do you uh, have any alternatives you'd recommend? Um, I know shrimp's always really popular, right? And I know some of my relatives are really into to boiled crabs, but shrimp's always an option. Uh, people in the state would obviously tell you to try to go for Gulf shrimp as opposed to any kind of imported shrimp here. So that's that's my recommendation. Um, anybody who's strictly about crawfish, though, again, you're just you're gonna have to wait a little bit. And finally, with a a warmer, drier climate like we might see some summers, is there anything we can do to support? crawfish or should we just expect less rain will correlate to less crawfish during this time of the year and we'll just have to change our habits? Well, certainly you hope that the drought that we had this past summer was a one-time thing. Now, with the way that weather events are going right now, we really have no idea where that's going to be. There's certainly fears out there that that could happen, uh, that those kind of events could continue to happen further. And maybe we do have to adjust to a new normal if we continue to have really hot summers. But I think the best thing that people can do aside from exercising patients is, again, just continue to support the industry. I mean, there's still going to be crawfish, especially as the wetter weather picks up, you know, in January, hopefully in February, March as well. So I think continuing to support the industry is going to be really helpful. Just go out and get crawfish any kind of way that you can. That way you're supporting not only the restaurants, but particularly the farmers and the vendors who really rely on this season to make a lot of their money. And I I fully anticipate that Louisiana residents will do that. Again, crawfish is a religion down here. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. You certainly hope that we're not having to adjust to any kind of new reality here. But I also fully anticipate that the people of Louisiana will continue to support the industry, and I think that's the right thing to do. Robert Stewart is a reporter with the Science Pick You and the Advocate. Thanks for being here today. Of course. Thanks so much again. From WRKF and WWNO, this is Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Taking place this Sunday and Monday in Ville Platte, a conference meant to address the issue of climate change in agriculture. It's called Louisiana Farmers Climate Convening. Growers from around the state will get together to talk about how climate change can culturally and economically affect agriculture. They'll be discussing methods and skills to adapt to a changing climate. With me to discuss what they'll have to share, we have Lauren Jones, LJ from Shreveport Green, a community organization, and the Louisiana Small Scale Agriculture Coalition helping to facilitate the conference. LJ, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Also with us, Leroy Conish from River Road Farm in Vachery in St. James Parish. Leroy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So we hear a lot about climate change, what it will do to coastal environments, coastal communities as far as inhabitability, frequency of severe weather, what it will mean in ways most relatable a lot of times to people in the city, people less connected to the land. As an overview, what general factors are you looking at as far as how climate change could impact agriculture throughout the state? We have, you know, a few different varieties of agriculture here in Louisiana, of course, from aquaculture along the coast to rice to forestry. Yeah. So um, as a statewide facilitator, we're looking at all of the different aspects of it. 
And um, we know that across the state, we're dealing with different types of climate change. Now, there's a few things that we're all going to agree on, um, but we want to give regional sessions a chance to really dive into what we are specifically experiencing. So we're excited to really nail down what all of our experiences share and how we're all so different. The conference is looking at addressing how growers adapt to climate and mitigate crop loss. These are techniques, things that farmers can do, things that you'll find yourself having to do. What kind of techniques are available? What are we talking about? Uh, at this point, having uh, an unfortunate uh, experience with uh, climate change, there's been little preparation in terms of providing um, a method to uh, mitigate it properly. However, based on what I've experienced, uh, greenhouse production, high tonal production, that can help extend growing seasons and also uh, make farming more profitable. And at the same time, it would help mitigate the weather factors. Now, um, what we have to do is develop an infrastructure that allows us to have water control or uh, irrigation during extended dry periods. And also we have to uh, understand that the economic impact is going to be great in terms of what it's going to do to the farmer in terms of having to make it more expensive to farm. So we have to be able to adapt and adjust and also have farmer-friendly types of programs implemented by all of the federal agencies. Uh, and also uh, have communities educated on the value of spending money now rather than spending more money later trying to mitigate climate change. And we're also going to be able to uh, educate people in the communities of what the value is of working on this problem now before uh, it gets out of hand. And the event is making a point to ask about the social, emotional, community impacts of climate change on our food system. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we like to give it a little bit of a holistic approach. And we're we're serving the community. We're going to really focus on the social and emotional aspects. And um, we're starting off with a discussion around our climate grief in farming. The idea is to bring us all together, to create a statewide network of understanding, of support, and of friendship and community, because that's very important. And then we're going to kind of dive into the weeds. Um, we're going to talk about seed saving, cover cropping, how we can really make those changes on our farms across the state. Leroy, would you say that you've been impacted by climate change in any way yet? Or is this a situation where your impact is worrying about it and preparing for it? Oh, it's a combination of all of the above. I have been impacted. And I am concerned. Uh, I'm not really worried, but uh, the focus, again, being proactive, we can mitigate the influence of climate change. We're speaking with Lauren L.J. Jones from Shreveport Green and LSAC, the Louisiana Small Scale Agriculture Coalition, and Leroy Connors from River Road Farm in Vatry. They'll be a part of the Louisiana Farmers Climate Convening Conference this Sunday and Monday in Ville Platte. One of the results of climate change we talk about is the frequency and severity of natural disasters, and these disasters are quite disruptive to agriculture as well as everything else. Natural disasters are easy to look at individually, like they're each a single phenomenon rather than that there's a bigger picture happening. Talking to others who work in agriculture, do you see people preparing as though, yes, climate change is a trend, or do you see people just being reactionary to each disaster? You know, 
every year it's closer to it becoming a trend. And I still think there's room to grow. And um, that room to grow comes from learning about your statewide issues. So hearing people like Leroy from Vashuri, letting people in Shreveport share their information with him, he shares, and we kind of come on the same page. This is happening. Can growers be proactive about how they prepare for what the climate might do to their livelihoods? And and how can they do it? Well, growers have to be proactive. Uh, you know, if we want to stay in business, um, there needs to be more people taking climate change seriously. We have to uh, develop infrastructure that can mitigate the extended dry periods. We also have to create drainage system based on our soil types. And in order to do that, we have to have access to resources that can help us develop the infrastructure. Leroy, thanks for mentioning infrastructure. I want to hear more about infrastructure, the government programs, the systems of getting agricultural services and goods to growers. How well suited is this infrastructure of farming to responding to climate change? Now, any work we can do on that, um, LJ? Absolutely. Yeah. So just to kind of bounce off of what Leroy just said, one of the things that LSAC is doing, and honestly, the reason that we exist as a statewide coalition is to fill the gaps that are just naturally existing in this current state of extreme climate change. Um, You know, regenerative farming, water saving, Um, We need to be on board together and work cooperatively. I think it would be great if we could figure out a way to have a large cooperative that shares our crimpers and the things that we're going to need to do cover crops that small-scale farmers can't afford on their own. And finally, what kind of audience do you expect to see at this conference, and what do you hope they'll walk away with from it? So our audience is geared towards anybody that is growing food because we want to hear everybody's opinion, everybody's experience. Um, We want to introduce people to uh, other people like them. For instance, we're having an LGBTQIA group, affinity group. We're having farmers of color group because it's really important to take into consideration those dynamics of farming as well. There are um, systemic issues that we want to talk about. And that also creates conversation. It creates bonds between people. So we're hoping to create community across the state. And we're really hoping to inspire people to take the initiative to actually incorporate some type of regenerative farming practice and to look for the resources that we're offering. And Leroy, is there any change you might hope to start seeing as a result of what people leave this conference with? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Uh, really, I'm hoping that the farmers, the nonprofits, uh, the government agencies, and communities at large will develop a better understanding of the opportunity to work together in order to create sustainable food systems and help eradicate food insecurity. The conference takes place this Sunday and Monday at Chico State Park in Ville Platte. It's called Louisiana Farmers Climate Convening. LJ, Lauren Jones from Shreveport Green and LSAC, the Louisiana Small Scale Agriculture Coalition. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Leroy Conish from River Road Farm and Bashery. Thank you as well. Thank you for having me. Take care. 
And that does it for Louisiana Considered on a Wednesday. A thank you to author Stephen Sylvia and Stephen DeSaha from the Gulf States Newsroom, as well as to our guests Robert Stewart from the Times Picayune New Orleans Advocate, as well as LJ Jones and Lori Kunish. Our managing producer here at Louisiana Considered is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Purcell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to this show Monday through Friday at 12 noon and 7 p.m. right here. Our show is available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Adam Voss. Thanks for listening. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health.